Yeah, um, so we are right in the middle of our series in James. It's called Genuine. Um, if you've been with us, you know that. We decided to call it Genuine because in this letter, uh, James does a lot to call us, call us as Christians into a deeper, more authentic, more genuine faith. There we talked about how real, genuine faith results in good works in our lives. Um, if we really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then our lives are going to look like that's true, right? Um, And so when James tells us that faith without works is dead, he isn't saying that we have to like earn our way before God, but he's saying uh, that it is like, um, sorry, he's saying that if we have a true, genuine faith in Jesus, that's going to be evidenced uh, in our lives. And so this week we're going to dig into James 3 uh, and actually a bunch of other scriptures as well, um, but mostly James 3 where he's talking about our tongue. Uh, So our words and um, how we ought to speak. And so um, why don't we pray and then we're going to dive into James 3 and uh, it'll be good, I think. So God, um, Lord, thank you for uh, everybody that's here today. I thank you for, um, (laughs) God, I thank you for speaking. I thank you for being a God that actively engages us. A God that wants to uh, communicate with us, a God that wants to walk with us. Uh, Lord, I pray for that today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. God, I'm so thankful for your word and, and how you use that to communicate with us. Lord, we pray that um, you'd be present with us today. And uh, God, we love you so much. We thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Cool, so we're going to be in James 3, uh, verses 1 through 12. Um, I'm going, it's going to be up on the screen, but I'm going to recommend as, as per use that, uh, if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you get that out, uh, just because it's going to be up on the screen initially, and then I'm probably going to reference it throughout, uh, even though it probably won't continue to be up there. So, um, James three, uh, starts in verse one, and then we're going to go through verse 12. It says this, not many should become teachers, my brothers knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a mature man who is also able to control his whole body. Now when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we also guide the whole animal. And consider ships, though very large driven and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how large a forest a small fire ignites, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. Every sea creature, reptile, bird, or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We praise our Lord and Father with it, and we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. Praising and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brother, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Wow. So, in this passage, James is calling our attention to the power of our words, and more specifically that our words are indicative of the maturity of our hearts. He goes as far as to say, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a mature man who is able to control his whole body. 
He uses a lot of metaphors speaking to uh, the way that our tongue has the power to influence uh, everything in our lives, right? He says that um, the, the tongue can, is a small fire and only a small fire is needed uh, for an entire forest to be set ablaze. Jesus says something similar in Matthew 15. He says this, uh, summoning the crowd, he told them, listen and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Are you still lacking an understanding, he asked? Don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a man. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, blasphemies. Uh, And so from this, we see the significance of our words. And uh, something that comes to mind for me is the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. You guys have heard that before, right? Okay, I was like, is that like too old uh, for this crowd? I'm not even sure. Um, Of course, that was kind of taught to me at a young age so that I'd learn not to take what others say so seriously so that I wouldn't get hurt. Uh, But what's being said here in the scriptures is a little more than just, hey, be careful with your words uh, so that you don't hurt somebody. Although I think that that's present. Um, There's a little more here than that. I mean, it's clear that words are powerful and have the potential for great good and great harm. Uh, This is part of what James was saying when he says, we praise our Lord and Father with it and we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. And we're going to talk more about that aspect of of things later, but um, really what we're seeing is Jesus is telling us that from our words we learn something about our hearts. I mean, he reaffirms that our hearts are extremely important to him, not just our external actions. And he also reaffirms that our external actions, and especially in this case, our words, are very much indicative of our heart. It tells us something about our hearts. I mean, maybe that sounds familiar to you. Hopefully it sounds familiar to you. Last week we talked uh, about faith and works and how our external actions, our works can affirm the authenticity of our faith, right? That, That when real heart change happens, the external actions inevitably follow. Uh, the same is true with our words. Um, when I'm talking with somebody and they are flippant with their words or speech or, or they uh, are, are generally negative or ungracious or rude um, or they gossip or something like that, right away that tells me something about their heart, right? And it's not that I'm like looking for ways to judge people or anything like that. It's just like right away when, when somebody is speaking to you in, in a certain manner, you can tell something about what's going on in their heart. And that's sort of what Jesus is saying. Uh, on the other hand, if someone is gentle and gracious in their speech, it tells me a little bit about their understanding of God. If someone is harsh and unloving in their speech, it tells me something about their lack of understanding of God. If someone is not able to bridle their tongue, it tells me something about their self-control, et cetera, et cetera. That, that list can kind of go on and on. But if those two passages of Scripture weren't enough for you to show you just how important words seem to be to God, let's read through some others. Um, this is a small, small sample of, of, of what Scripture has to say about our words. But uh, we're going to kind of rapid fire through these. First Peter 3.10, For the one who wants to love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Ephesians 4.29, no foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Proverbs 10.19, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is wise. Proverbs 15.4, the tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. Proverbs 21.23, the one who guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. 
Psalm 141.3, Lord, set up a guard for my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. And Proverbs 18.20-21, from the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is satisfied. He is filled with the product of his lips. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And this is just, again, a small, small sample of what Scripture has to say about how important our words are. Uh, But it's not just this. God himself used words to create the world and everything in it. You You guys realize that? He literally speaks everything into existence. And so God is modeling for us this truth that our words have the potential to give great life. And they also have the potential for great harm. Um, James says it like this in verses 10 and 11, praising and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? And and of course, he's talking about fresh water and salt water, and and we know that those two things don't come from the same spring, right? That that if they did, uh, one of those things would be tainted, right? And so if, if salt water and fresh water tried to come out of the same opening, the fresh water would not be very fresh, would it? Right? And so what we're seeing here is how that applies to our words, and yet we try to do this all the time. We use our words to praise God, we use our words to sing songs to him, and then in the next breath, we're gossiping, we're discouraging our brothers or sisters for whom Christ died. I think we ought to embody what Paul says in Colossians 4, 6, your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. And so, with all of that said, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, how we can apply this. Um, we're going to talk some about both praising and cursing, right? And those are just two words that I'm using to describe uh, using our words for life and using our words for death, right? Because uh, James, again, he talks about how we praise God with our mouths and then we also curse men with our mouths. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into these two categories as to how we can choose to use our words, either to curse or to praise. Um, we're going to talk first about cursing. Uh, the first aspect of, of, of cursing, I would say, is speaking poorly of others, uh, gossiping, slandering, that type of thing is the, the first one that I'm going to dive into. Um, and, and I think that this should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. I hope that when you speak about others, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ, that you are speaking well of them. I hope that you have nothing positive things to say about your brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter how imperfect they are, no matter what they might have done against you or sinned, or how they might have sinned against you, I hope that when you're talking about your brothers and sisters in the Lord, that you're, you're speaking good things about them, specifically when you're talking about them when they're not around. Like, there's a, there's a time and place for criticizing people, I think, right? Because that's, that's how we grow sometimes, is by being able to receive constructive criticism. Um, and, and that can be done in a way that is gracious and helpful and constructive. Uh, but I would say that, that time or place for where that should take place is not when the person we're criticizing is absent. That is to say, I don't think that it's good or godly or loving to criticize someone behind their back. Um, I know good men and women that when, when someone begins to share something about somebody else's life to them, specifically in a, a, a critical or godly, or I'm sorry, or gossipy manner, um, they'll, they'll ask them, hey, uh, have you talked to them about it? And if the answer to that is no, then it's, <laughs> I don't want to hear about it. That's, that's the response. And I think that that's a pretty good rule of thumb. Like, uh, 
I think it's okay to receive counsel from others on, on how to handle certain situations, but there's a way to go about doing that that doesn't involve gossiping, doesn't involve speaking poorly of others. Uh, and I think it's wise to ask yourself, first, if the person that you're talking to needs to hear about what you're saying, and second, if they're actually involved in the solution or if you just want to complain. Okay? I hope that if you have something good to say uh, to a brother or sister in Christ that's good for your growth, even if that's uh, hard for them to hear, I hope that you say it, but let it be said to the person that needs to hear it and let it be said lovingly and not with contempt. Um, I I know for me, I want to be somebody that's constantly speaking well of my friends. When when people hear uh, me talk about those around me, I hope that they're hearing positive things about uh, my other friends so that whenever they, they hear that, they're encouraged by what God is doing in their lives. So that's the first thing, um, is just speaking poorly of others. The second one is discouragement or negativity. Uh, I confess, this one's a little tough for me. Um, I'm, as a whole, someone who I'd probably consider myself to be a pessimist. Um, Of course, everyone that's a pessimist swears that they're a realist, right? Uh, That's usually how that goes. uh, Generally, people who claim to be realists are are, uh, just pessimists that are honestly, probably trying to convince themselves that they're not really pessimists. Anyway, I'm probably a pessimist. Um, But I I think that as believers, we should stray from negative or discouraging talk. And uh, I I confess that that sounds kind of fluffy, right? Like that just sounds like, hey, we should only be um, thinking happy thoughts or something like that. And and I don't think that the point is that we need to put like a positive spin on uh, our words or anything like that. I don't think that means that we shouldn't be honest or truthful about what is going on. Um, I don't think that that means that our lives are always amazing and everything that we see is through a you know, rose-colored lens. Um, I don't think that's, that's what I'm talking about at all, but I am saying that we have to wonder if it really glorifies God to speak in a negative or discouraging manner. Uh, the, the scripture that I always think about whenever um, I'm thinking about this and I'm trying to remind myself to like, dwell on good things is uh, Philippians 4.8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's any praise, dwell on these things. And I think that if I'm dwelling on those things, my language is going to follow suit. When things don't seem to be going well, how can I praise God for what he's doing? How can I praise God for the good that he's doing? How can I learn to see uh, the good things that God is doing in my life and the lives of those around me? How can I dwell on the good things God is doing instead of the negative circumstances that I'm perceiving? And I, I'm careful to word it that way because what we see in the scriptures is that uh, we know that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so if you love God, if you're seeking God, we know that even the, the things that uh, circumstantially seem bad or negative, we know that God is working that for our good, right? And and so we can cling to that. All this to say, whatever is true, you know, don't just think about those things. Speak that. Whatever is honorable, speak it. Speak in purity and in in a lovely, commendable way, et cetera, et cetera, just like this verse talks about. Um, I think a way that we can speak negatively, and man, I'm going to call this out again because I'm not sure that I was even heard last time that I, I, I talked about this. I talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, swearing, I think, is a thing. 
that has become all the more, people become all the more okay with this uh, in our church especially. And I'm not trying to sound like a mom who's going to like wash her mouth out with soap or something for, for spit, saying bad words. You know, I put that in quotes for uh, those of you on the podcast or whatever. Um, that's not the point. The, the point is I'm finding that the men and women in our church that are using foul language um, in, in almost every scenario, they're using it in a way that they shouldn't be if, if they love God. Um, again, James tells us, does salt water and fresh water come out of the same spring? And uh, what I'm about to say isn't meant to be some kind of Jesus juke or, uh, or something like that or, or something to make you feel guilty enough to actually change. But honestly, like if you were hanging out with Jesus, I'm pretty certain that most of you wouldn't say some of the things that you say whenever you, you swear. Um, and so I think that there is a, I said this in the last sermon that I talked about this, I think that there is a good uh, godly way to use strong language. Again, some people, some people might call it swearing or something like that. Um, I think that there's a way that you can use that in a way that's uh, building up the body. Um, I would suggest that Paul might have used strong language or, or sworn or whatever in one of his uh, epistles, one of his letters, um, and it was in a good godly manner to call out um, something that was important to use that language in. And yet, I feel like for the most part, people in our church that use strong language are not using it in a way that is is in any way wholesome or good. And so, I'll just leave that there. You guys can can do what you want with that, I guess. Um, the last one is untruth. Untruth. Um, as far as uh, cursing. And so, um, we ought to work hard at making sure that our words aren't tainted by lies about God or about ourselves. Uh, and this isn't just speaking things that are obviously wrong, but I think it also involves having good theology. And I don't want that word to scare you guys. Uh, theology, that just means like the study of the nature of God. And so the, the idea that we would be constantly filling ourselves with the right ideas about God so that our speech would be filled with the right ideas about God, right? When we understand God poorly, it affects how we speak about God. It affects how we, we talk to others, right? If we have a poor understanding of how much God loves people, I think that that will lead us to speaking poorly of people more often than we should, right? Um, when we speak untruth, it's not only indicative that we're believing lies, but I think that that's something that can be infectious, especially, uh, because many of us, um, if you're a Christian, if you're following Christ, there's a good chance that you're leading others, Right? There's a good chance that you're investing in others. Um, and if that's true, you know, they're going to be hearing a lot of that wrong understanding of God or bad theology uh, whenever you're uh, investing in them. And so uh, Jesus tells us this. He says that every servant, after they're fully trained, will be like their master. Uh, that's something that I, I come back to often, um, just understanding the weight of uh, how I'm following Jesus. The truth is, is that as we invest in others, their walk with Jesus is going to look a lot like ours. And so there's, there's an importance to having uh, good theology, an importance to uh, making sure that we're not speaking untruth. Um, you know, when bad theology is present in our thoughts and words, we're going to lead others astray, and they're going to have the wrong idea about who our good father is. And so it's important, untruth. Um, and so those, those are the three ways that I, I can think of as to how we can curse others in, God's, but, in God, but uh, our, our words don't just have potential for great harm. Uh, they have potential for great good, too. Uh, the scripture tells us that um, from the tongue comes both life and death, right? And so we're always aiming to tame our tongue and, and to tame our words and to make them obedient to Christ. That is to let our lips be filled with life only, 
right? And so here's how we can praise uh, God. Here's how we can let praise and good things in life come forth from our lips. Um, there are a few things that I have for this one as well. The first one is spending time in God's word. And that seems initially like, okay, what does that have to do with what I'm saying to others or, or what I'm saying in general? Well, um, just like what we were talking about before, uh, Jesus himself, he says that the, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and so this means that we ought to be very careful about the things that we're dwelling on. We ought to be very careful about the things that we're thinking about. We ought to be very intentional about dwelling on God's word and spending time with him and seeking to understand his nature more and more. Uh, because as we're intentional about spending time in God's word, uh, that's going to impact the types of things that come out of our mouths. That's just the truth, right? Like that's, those are the, if those are the things that we're actually spending time dwelling on, thinking about, that's how we're going to speak. Where we're invested and sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? Like fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's where we're gonna be constantly thinking about and talking about Jesus. This is really crucial in letting good come from our words. The second thing is uh, the worship of God. The worship of God. Um, th there's something really, really unique about worshiping and praising God. Um, I, I think that there's something in us that's complete when we're praising God. I think that uh, God has designed us for uh, worship to him. Um, I think that God has designed us to be fulfilled as we worship him. And so one way that we can let our speech be filled with life is that we can worship and praise God. Uh, this doesn't have to just be in song, right? That's not just what, that's not all of what worship entails. Um, but that is, I mean, that's certainly one way that we can worship the Lord, but I think that that's, there's a little more to it than that. Uh, the psalmist describes worship like this in Psalm 100. Shout triumphantly to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that Yahweh is God. He made us and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for Yahweh is good and his love is eternal. His faithfulness endures through all generations. And so we see how like worshiping God and acknowledging who he is and everything that he's done for us is going to uh, result in, in, in greater joy in our lives. Um, but it's also just, I mean, like, th there's so many aspects to worshiping the Lord. Um, C.S. Lewis says this about worship. He says, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its com appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. And so we see that, like, man, as we express thanksgiving, as we express praise to God, our delight in him is actually completed, right? That, that, that as we express that to God, like, that completes our joy in some ways. Um, somebody that does this really well in our church is uh, Katie Cornelius. Some of you may not know her. Many of you do, obviously, sounds like. Uh, she didn't know I was going to say this. Sorry, Katie. Um, but she's generally filled with joy, and one of the reasons I think this is the case is because she's very, like, disciplined uh, in praising God. Um, if you ask her how she's doing, she's, like, 100% of the time intent on using that moment to thank God or to give God glory, right? And those of you that know her know that that's true, and I think this is, a, as a result, she's contagiously joyful. It kind of freaks me out sometimes, because I'm just, I, you know, I'm just not that way, but it's encouraging to me, like, encouraging, like, man, like, as we give praise to God, like, that's going to bring about joy in our lives. 
Um, we ought to be men and women that are constantly looking for ways to give God glory and to praise God. Um, the last thing is this, proclaiming. Proclaiming. So, um, this is the opposite of, of letting lies and untruth rule our words, like I was talking about earlier. It's intentionally letting truth be constantly on our lips, right? Letting the words of God be constantly on our lips. There are two uh, targets, I wasn't sure how to, how to phrase that, uh, that, that you could proclaim God's truth to. The first is others, um, right? That makes, that makes sense. Paul says, how can they believe unless they've heard? Right, this is the idea that we're tasked with the great privilege of inviting others into this, uh, this covenant relationship with God. Jesus took on the wrath of God so that we might be freed from the penalty of sin. And, and as a result, we get to know God. And this is true of everyone that places their faith in Jesus. But in response to this, Paul says in Romans 10, he says, how can they believe without hearing about him? And so we have this opportunity, if we, if we want to speak life, we have the opportunity to speak that to the people around us, to proclaim that to people around us. Um, that's not just unchristians, but it's, it's also Christians, I think. Um, both of them need to hear the word, or the truth of God. Um, for Christians, because we're prone to believing lies um, about God or lies about our security in Christ, like they need to be reminded of the truth about Jesus, and yet, uh, for non-Christians, because they don't have the abundant life that we have in Jesus. And so, we have this opportunity to be God's vessels to those around us, to be the light of the world, as Jesus says it. What would it mean for you to, to let God's grace be constantly on your lips to those around you? What if the people that you came in contact with in your classrooms, in your dorms, um, they, they couldn't help but know that you love Jesus because of how you talk? What would that look like for you guys? Think about that. Uh, the, the second target is ourselves. It's not just others that we need to proclaim truth to, uh, but also ourselves. And I'm, I'm probably going to share this with others until I, I die, I'm convinced, the, the importance of preaching truth to ourselves um, it's so important to learn to preach the truth to yourself constantly because even where you wouldn't outwardly say like, oh, I'm believing a lie here or something like that, uh, we can see in how we're living that often we're believing things that aren't true about Jesus, right? And, and so we ought to learn to, to, to not only see those things but, but learn to preach the truth to ourselves, to remind ourselves of the truth about God um, where we feel like we're in the wake or where we feel like in the wake of our shortcomings, we can no longer approach God, right? Like, that's a lie that we need to speak truth into. Where we feel like when we sin, we need to, like, clean ourselves up before we come back to God, right? Like, that's a common one, I think. Um, I, I know for me, even uh, when I struggle with sin, like, to beat myself up um, enough so that God knows that I'm actually sorry about it. Um, these, are, these are opportunities where we get to preach truth to ourselves. We need to be reminding ourselves that God is a gracious and patient God and, and that he loves us no matter what. And that's not just fluff, right? Like, like I'm not even saying like um, God isn't a just judge or something like that. He is a just judge. He's a just judge that punishes sin. Uh, but for those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, there is no judgment left for us. Right? All of that was placed on Jesus on the cross. And so we can come before God. Uh, if we have faith in Jesus, we can come before God freely, no matter where we've fallen. 
And so these are the kinds of truths that we need to proclaim to ourselves and to others. What would it look like for you to be constantly seeking for ways to proclaim God's goodness? Um, the awesome thing is uh, this, this afternoon there's going to be some people that are baptized. We've talked about that a couple times, and we're really excited about that. But uh, this is some, something that's really just a beautiful picture of, of us dying to our old selves and, and being raised to new life with Christ, right? That's, that's kind of what we're seeing when we uh, are baptized. And so we get to rejoice and, and to praise God for how he's raising new people, or people to new life, right? Um, and we get to see how those people that are being baptized are proclaiming, you know, really to the whole world that they, are, they belong to Jesus, right? But we can also rejoice and praise God for the fact that if you've placed your faith in Jesus, he's not only raised us to new life and, and ransomed us, but he's continuing to make us more like him every day, right? And these are the kinds of truths that we need to proclaim, uh, that he's continuing to sanctify us. Um, it's not just baptisms. We're actually going to be taking communion today. Um, and I was thinking about this, this verse um, that we're going to read in a minute, but um, the Lord's Supper, and, and we ask that you abstain from this if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus. Um, but for those of us that have done that, this is an off, awesome opportunity to proclaim uh, the name of Jesus. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11, um, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took bread gave thanks and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant established in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, uh, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we get to proclaim uh, th that we belong to Jesus now through communion as well. And so today during worship, as you see fit, you can go up to the top of the steps to the left or to the right. There's going to be options on both sides and, and take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice that's back there. Um, and in this, we're proclaiming that the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient. It's sufficient to cover all of our sins and, and that we're made new and we're made whole again through that. That now because of the risen Christ, there's nothing that can take us away from God. And we can praise God for that. And so um, that's all I've got for you guys. Uh, let's, let's pray. And then we're going to spend some time worshiping. We're going to spend some time proclaiming truth about God. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think it'll be fun. Lord, um, God, we love you. God, we're so thankful for how you have worked in our lives. Lord, we're so thankful for, for what you're doing in each of our lives. Lord, I pray um, I don't know, just that we'd be encouraged. Lord, we'd be encouraged by, um, I don't know, the words that we're singing as, as we're worshiping you. We'd be encouraged by how you've changed our lives. Uh, Lord, that we'd be encouraged by what you're doing in the lives of others that are, that are going to be baptized today. Lord, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for um, even just teaching us from your word, God, what it means to, to love you with our words. God, we pray that you be with us and that you speak to us here, uh, even through worship. In Christ's name, amen.